Well, please do have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 8, page 944, if you're using a church Bible. Our Father in heaven, please help us grasp all that you've done for us through your Son, the Lord Jesus. Help us to take in all that you are doing in us by the work of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that as we meditate upon these wonderful verses before us, that we would be assured that we are yours and you are ours. We are loved, safe, and secure forevermore. And we pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. John Stott wrote in his commentary on Romans chapter 8, this is without doubt one of the best known and best loved chapters of the Bible. And it is that because it's a chapter just jam-packed full of glorious truth that is intended to encourage us and assure us as Christians that we are safe and secure in Christ forevermore. In this chapter, Paul wants us to be secure in God's love. In this chapter, Paul wants us to be secure in the knowledge of God's purposes for us. As I said last week, the chapter begins with the words, no condemnation, and it ends with the words, no separation. Paul wants us to discover the wonder of our relationship with God. We are safe and secure. God is our Father. We are adopted in his Son, and we are indwelled by his Holy Spirit. Now, one of the reasons Paul penned this chapter is because in chapter 7, he was very aware that you and I struggle in this life as we battle with sin. Indeed, it's some of our past failures and regrets that often lead us to doubt and to discouragement in the Christian life. Not just our past struggles, but even our present struggles with sin. And so we often feel a little bit uneasy when it comes to thinking about our future with God. And Paul, knowing his own soul and being a wise and gifted pastor, wrote this chapter to apply the truth of God's word to our lives so that we would know that we are safe and secure. So you remember how it began, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful thing to say. Salvation means freedom from condemnation. And he said, there is therefore now, right now, no condemnation. This glorious truth is the verdict of the end, but it's been brought forward so that we would know it in the here and now. Well, as we come to verses 2 and 4, Paul wants us to see that our salvation in Christ Jesus also means freedom from enslavement to sin. Remember chapter 7? The things that we do not do, we often do. The things that we yeah, do not want to do, we often do. The things that we should do, we don't do. We live with this constant struggle with indwelling sin. Well, this week, Paul wants us to know we're not enslaved. We've been set free by the spirit of life. Yes, sin still indwells us, but we are also indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. And he empowers us 
to live for God. We've got three points this morning. Christians who struggle with sin and the feeling of enslavement need to hear the good news that we are set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Uh, Second point, Christians who struggle with sin and feelings of powerlessness in the battle against sin need to hear the good news that Christ's death has broken the power of sin. And then point three, uh, Christians who struggle with the bat- in the battle sin and feelings of weakness need to know that we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. So first one taught us there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Verses two to four teaches us that there is spiritual liberation for us in Christ Jesus through his spirit. So let's get going thinking about this good news that we are set free by life in the spirit. Now, let, just, just keep chapter seven always in mind. Paul has said that as Christians, we struggle. So you could just turn back to chapter seven, look at verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 17, so now it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul there gives voice to this struggle that all of us have as Christians. We feel enslaved to to our sin. Now, Paul has told us in chapters 6 and 7 that because of union with Christ, we're not enslaved to sin. We've been set free from the power of sin. And so as Paul writes verse 2, he he wants to remind us of this truth here in chapter 8. Do you know that you have been set free by the spirit of life? in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So Christian, can I ask you the question? Do you know that? You have been set free from the law of sin and death. And he says you've been set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The really Important thing, if you miss these three words in the middle of verse 2, in Christ Jesus, you miss the gospel. How are we set free from sin? It is in Christ Jesus. We're going to come and look at this in our second point, but Christ Jesus died on the cross, and he died paying the penalty and punishment for our sin, and even in his resurrection, he conquered sin so that sin's domin- sin has no more dominion over us. Now, one of the ways that Paul thinks, and this is where this passage is is really theologically dense. One of the things, when Paul thinks of the work of Christ, he never ever separates it from the work of the Holy Spirit. And so often in our minds, we can view them as two, two distinct realities, Christ at work, the Holy Spirit at work. Think of the life of Christ. He was conceived in the Holy Spirit, anointed in the Holy Spirit at his baptism. His entire ministry was empowered by the ministry ministry of the Holy Spirit. On the cross, he offered up his life through the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to understand that the way we've been set free is through the Spirit of life. We are liberated. 
Now, where this is, what is helpful to understand as we read verse 2 is Paul speaks about the law of the spirit of life and then the law of sin and death. You read that word in in Paul's letter to the Romans and you have to ask yourself, in what way is Paul using the word law? Because he always uses that word law in different ways. So sometimes when he speaks of law, he is referring to the Ten Commandments, the written code. But other times when he speaks about the law, he ain't referring to any written code. He's referring to a controlling power, a controlling influence, the way we might speak of the law of gravity. So back in chapter 7, verse 21, he speaks of this law that is at work in us. Verse 25 and 6, he speaks about the, the law at work in our members, and he's speaking about this controlling influence and power. And so when he speaks here about the law of the spirit of life, he's speaking about the controlling influence and power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And when he speaks about the law of sin and death, he's speaking about the enslavement that one has to sin, and sin leads one to death. Now here's the difference. When the Holy Spirit breaks into a person's life, he brings life and he sets you free. So important to understand this. When the Holy Spirit comes into the life of a person, he brings life and he sets you free. This, is, this was the hope of all God's Old Testament people who heard the prophecy of Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. In fact, if you've got your Bible there, just turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36. It's page 7 to 4. And in verse 25, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols and I will cleanse you. Here God's speaking about how he'll forgive people of their iniquities. In verse 26, he says, and I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And then in verse 27, he says this, and I will put, my spirit, capital S, within you. And what's the consequence of God's spirit coming inside of us? He'll cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Paul here says that when the spirit of God comes, Ezekiel here prophesies to the fact that when God comes to live within his people in accordance with the new covenant, he will change our lives. He will transform our lives. He will set us free from an enslavement to sin that leads to death. And he will enable us to know life that is freedom. Now, I think we struggle with this truth. And when we're preaching chapter 6 and 7, I think a lot of us found this hard just to, to get a hold of. When Paul says that we've been set free from sin's power, sin's dominion, He's not saying that we are sin-free. He's saying that sin no longer has its controlling influence over us. Rather, the Spirit of God does. 
Now, I think the reason we struggle with this whole concept is because most of us, when it comes to the Christian life, and you know that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you, you wonder, then why is it that I still struggle so much with sin? Why is it that I feel enslaved? Why is it I don't do the things I'm supposed to do and the things I'm not supposed to do? I do. And I said last week that I think many of us live with this wrong understanding of the Christian life. The Christian life is not, as we confessed last week, this perfect life of sanctification where we just get better, better and better and upward and upward and more like Jesus in that easy way. Now, the Christian life is a constant struggle with sin. If you're here this morning and you struggle with sin, it is an evidence of the Spirit of God at work in your life. If you struggle with sin, according to the New Testament, according to Paul, it is an evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You see, before you were in Christ, before the Spirit came to live inside of you, you are under sin's dominion. So when you wanted to lie, you lied. If you wanted to lust, you lusted. Sometimes you may have tried to oppose it, but, but generally speaking, you are under sin's controlling influence. But when you came to be in Christ, when you came to the Spirit of God take up residence in your heart, you found yourself in this conflict. Sin in you wanted to lie, but the Spirit within you wanted you to tell the truth. Sin dwelling in you wanted you to lust, but the Spirit residing inside you wants you to be pure. So so what does freedom look like in the Christian life? What does it mean to be set free by the Spirit? Well, it's not freedom from sin. It's freedom to fight sin. Let me illustrate it like this. You are no longer a prisoner of war, unable to do nothing. No, you're a foot soldier who can do battle with sin. When, when, When Paul is unpacking the glorious benefits and blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. And in verse 2, there is liberation. One of the ways that you, you know that there is no condemnation for you, one of the evidences is that you have this constant battle and struggle with sin. That is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is within you. I was um, in Edinburgh this week. I flew up on Monday, flew home on Thursday when I was sitting in City Airport, going there, it was the law of gravity that kept that plane on the ground. When I was at the gate and the plane was now moving to the runway, it was the engine of that plane that empowered it to soar and fly high. So an old famous Scottish preacher, Ralph Erskine, and he used to write gospel sonnets. And one of the things he says is that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it gives us the best news. Because not only does it bid us to follow God's commands, but it gives us the wings, as it were, to fly. The power of sin, the law of sin, has been broken, and we have been set free in Jesus.
Now, as we come to our second point, Christians who struggle with this ongoing battle with sin and who know their weakness in the face of sin, we need to hear the good news that Christ's death has broken the power of sin. Many of you know that my favorite preacher is Sinclair Ferguson, and so Sinclair Ferguson says this so well. He says, see on the cross, God was multitasking. I think when I was a young Christian, right, and anyone who's here this morning, if you, you're, you are a young Christian, the most glorious discovery you make is what the cross is about. There on the cross, Jesus died for your sin as your substitute. There on the cross, your sins were forgiven. And as a young Christian, I got that. I got that. But as I've grown as a Christian, I've never got over that. But, but what has been opened up to me is that there is so much more that happened at the cross. So much more than just my one-dimensional understanding of what Jesus did. And Paul here wants us to understand that at the cross, Jesus died for sin and he died to condemn sin so that sin would have no power over us. Now, the interesting thing is, as Christians, we sing about the truth of the cross nearly every week. And sometimes we don't realize that we're singing just about how, how much was achieved. So when we sing Charles Wesley's hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, there's the stanza that says, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. There's liberation. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avail for me. Or when we sing, as we sung last Sunday, Rock of Ages, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, let the water and the blood from my riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. Do you know the cross, Jesus, achieved many things for us, and two of them simply is he paid the penalty, he took the punishment for our sins so that guilt, sin's guilt from our life can be taken away. But at the cross, Jesus condemned sin in his body. He broke sin's hold over his people. Jesus' death is a double cure. Take a look at verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God has done what you and I could not do. That is live a life of perfect obedience. We cannot come to God on the basis of our own performance because we cannot perfectly obey God's law. Even as Christians, we know that by experience. But before we were Christians, it's all we ever knew, that we could not keep God's law perfectly. God convicted us, exposed us as guilty sinners, and brought us before God. And the brilliant news of the gospel is God did what we could not do. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Now, what did God do? Well, we read, by sending his own son in the likeness of flesh and for sin. If you've got a Bible there, you'll see there's a little um, see, and I'll tell you, look down at the footnotes, for sin means he, he gave himself as an atoning sacrifice. Now, Paul's really careful when he articulates what Jesus came into this, how Jesus came into this world. He says, God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
He doesn't say that Jesus came in sinful flesh because Jesus came sinless. And he came to live and lead a sinless, perfect life for us. He doesn't say that he just came in the likeness of flesh, meaning that he, he came pretending to be a human because Jesus came fully human. But Paul, because he wants to take us as close to the reality of Jesus, he says he came in the likeness of sinful flesh because Jesus came fully human and sinless simultaneously. And he came, yes, in that understanding, he came for sin. He came to give his life as a sin offering. You can't be a Christian unless you understand that. Jesus came to die on the cross so that your sin would go on him, be punished, in full. He came to atone for our sins so that penalty would be removed from us. But there's more than that. Jesus came to do everything necessary to break the power of sin. You see, before sin, you and I are powerless. But Jesus, in his flesh, sin was condemned in him. Get this right? The very thing that brings you and I to our knees is the very thing he brought to its knees. The very thing that would lead you and I to the end of ourselves, Jesus brought to an end. He condemned sin. He defeated it. And and that's such good news for the Christian because when we're in the eye of temptation, we can sometimes think sin is all powerful, but not so. Sin's power, sin's dominion has been defeated. And, 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 and this is given to us by Paul to be good news. How is it that we stand not condemned? Because Christ can, took the condemnation on himself. Then Christ defeated, destroyed the power of sin over us so that you and I could live for him. Imagine you're in a in a race, and you really want to beat your opponents. Well, you know, you could set the conditions such that you could, you know, give your fellow competitor, like, you could make them trip up and break their ankle before you start the race. You wouldn't do that, right? But just say you did that. They're mortally injured, (laughs) wounded, if you like, so it's going to make it very difficult for them to run their race. The amazing thing in the Christian life is Jesus not only has taken the condemnation, taken the penalty and punishment for our sin, he has brought sin's power to an end. So that as you and I now live the Christian life, sin does not have its power, dominion over us, but what we do have indwelling us is the power of the Holy Spirit. So imagine you're running that race and you have got something that empowers you to run really fast. That's the reality that Paul's setting up here. The the gospel at the cross, Jesus did so much more than you and I have ever realized. In fact, this is where we come to our third and final point. Christians who still struggle with ongoing sin and the feelings of powerlessness need to know that we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why has God done this. Why has God sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice and condemned sin in him? Look at verse 4. In order, this is incredible, that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us who walk not according to the flesh, 
but according to the Spirit. Now, I've read this verse many times, and every time when I get to the, get a certain part, I want to change the words. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled for us, surely. Surely. The reason that Jesus died as an atoning sacrifice, condemned sin, is so that the righteous requirement of the Lord might be fulfilled for us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But that's not what we need here. The requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. Can I say this? God justifies us precisely because his purpose is to sanctify us. God grants us pardon and declares us to be free from condemnation and the power of sin because his goal is that the requirement of the law within us might be fulfilled. Now, there, there's two dimensions to this truth. This is what I mean. The truth of what Jesus done is, is so much more than we realized. Jesus Christ did live the life that you and I could not live perfect. In our union with Christ, we receive Christ's righteousness imputed to us. So the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled for us. We all believe that, right? But our justification, our right standing, our legal declaration with God comes with the gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers us now that we're in Christ to keep his law. So you may have been thinking at the end of last week's sermon, no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. Past sins forgiven, present sins forgiven, future sins forgiven, confident of my standing before God. Can I continue in sin? Not a chance. But here's the glorious good news of the gospel. He equips us with his spirit, empowers us with his spirit so that we can keep his law. Now, the sermon that I'm preaching this week is really just the introduction to the sermon that we will preach next week. Because verses 5 through 11 is all about life in the Spirit and the mortification of sin. But you can't understand this next section without understanding this. You who are weak and powerless have been empowered by the Spirit to walk in the ways of God. I found it really hard to try and articulate all of the realities that are presented in these truths. And then, and then I, I stumbled across J.I. Packer and Knowing God, a summation that's just outstanding. So I'm going to close with this. J.I. Packer writes, Paul balances what the law has told Christians about themselves. Told us we're failed, we're weak, and we're guilty. With what the gospel tells them about themselves. We're loved, we're saved, we're safe. And his purpose is to ensure that the gospel, rather than the law, has the last word in his readers' consciences and determines their final attitudes toward God, toward themselves, and towards life. Now, here's his, here's his image. Think of the Christian's personal life as a house with different aspects. Romans 7 depicts the cold, shadowed side that faces away from the sun. Romans 8 shows us the warm side where the sunshine is seen and fell. We only get out of Romans 7 into Romans 8 in the sense that after letting the law speak to us about ourselves, we listen afresh to the gospel. But both aspects of experience, the pain of imperfection, the joy of assurance, 
And the hope of spiritual progress should be ours constantly, consciously, and conjointly. We do and must live, so to speak, in both chapters together every day of our lives. Every day of your life, you feel enslaved to sin, but you ain't enslaved. You've been set free. Every day of your life, you feel condemned by sin. It acu- your conscience accuses you, joins a chorus of Satan, but you have no condemnation. Every day you feel weak, powerless, impotent in your battle against sin. No, God, by his Holy Spirit, is powerfully at work within you. As you face temptation, as temptation greets you day in, day out, the Holy Spirit is there so that you've got the freedom to fight sin. You're not a prisoner of war. You're not unable not to do anything. You're a foot soldier set free by the Spirit to fight sin. So church, know this. It all comes from the glorious good news that Jesus Christ on the cross paid the penalty, took the punishment, and made an end of sin's power. Glory, glory. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Our Father, our minds can hardly take in the wonder of the gospel. All of the things that were accomplished at the cross by your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our minds can scarcely take in the reality of the resurrection. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that is now at work within us. Our Father, we thank you that the call of the Christian life is now to walk according to the Spirit. We thank you that the call is not a call to run because we can't run, but to walk that slow and consistent life in step with your Word and in step with your Spirit so that we might please you. Thank you so much that the evidence of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives is that we are fighting with our sin. We pray, Lord, that as your people, that even this week we would fight, use our freedom to fight our sin, that we would die to sin and live unto righteousness. I pray for anyone who particularly right now is feeling doubts or discouragement about who they are in Christ. Would the truth of your word soothe their consciences Encourage them and lift them up. And for those of us who know you and love you, we pray that as we grow in our understanding of what Christ has done and what your spirit is doing, that we would live all the more fervently for you. God, you are so generous in all that you've given us in Christ and by your spirit. May we respond to your generosity with giving you our life's and the lip and our lips of praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.